crypto is not going away for the skeptics that are out there. Uh, it's definitely here to stay. You know, while the market, you know, there ebbs, it does ebb and flow for sure. The technology at its core is 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 here. Institutions are adopting this technology, and so it is important that you know, you know, anyone new who's who's listening here should definitely, you know, try it out, test it out, learn more about it, read more about it. There is it is an opportunity for people to to build. We're seeing regulators overstepping right now or falling short at other times. Where we are right now, it's truly, truly not sustainable. And it makes our framework less competitive um, than other jurisdictions. And it also makes uh, consumers go to unsafe access points because they can't have access to the assets that they want or they can't do the cool stuff you know their friends in Europe are doing. We seriously, seriously need policy leadership uh, and to create new legislation and regulations. We need everybody at the table for that. We need regulators, policymakers, and the industry for that um, because what we have right now, it's just um, it's just not sustainable. I'm Sasha Kostich, president of MasterCard Canada and host of Future Forward on thefutureeconomy.ca. Over the past few years, cryptocurrency has become increasingly popular, with many people investing in Bitcoin, Ether, and other digital currencies. Whatever your opinion on cryptocurrency, the fact remains that these digital assets are becoming a more important part of our digital world. Despite some concerns about the volatility and potential risks regarding its value, many see cryptocurrency as a promising investment opportunity. Its role in the digital economy is expected to grow in the coming years. Today, I'm joined by Morva Rohani, Executive Director of the Web3 Council, and Eric Richman, President of CoinSquare, which is owned by Wonderfy, a TSX company, and co-founder and director of Tetra Trust Company, Canada's only trust company licensed to custody digital assets. Together, we'll explore the rise of cryptocurrency, and what are some of the implications for Canadians, identify calls to action for industry, government, and key stakeholders across Canada on what must be done now and by who to improve wider adoption of digital assets and their role in the future economy. Let's get to it. Morva, Eric, thanks for joining me today. My first question is around um, the digital asset and blockchain industry has evolved significantly since mining the first Bitcoin. You have both tremendous experience in this space and have seen rapid growth from the inside. And so I'd love to just start by having you tell our audience about your past experience and the passion that has led you to the blockchain industry and the world of cryptocurrency. Sure, um, I can start because I think my answer will probably be a little different than Eric's, but my personal interest is in politics, our government and our institutions uh, and the public good and how technologies fit into all of that as a force for advancement and innovation in our society. So. Where I fit in and where my interest is is in helping uh, new technologies and governments uh, navigate the gray areas and uncertainties that come with uh, each of those things. So when it comes to tech policy, I'd say for the past eight to 10 years, the challenge of our time was um, the intersection of the physical and the digital. So think marketplace applications like Uber or Airbnb, but they are largely resolved now and the regulations are being iterated on. And to some extent, Web2 policy challenges like privacy and online safety are still being hammered out. 
But uh, and those are really interesting problems. But I wanted to be uh, an early entrant into the next big tech policy challenge of our lifetime. And from my perspective, Web3 and crypto and blockchain, they provide opportunities for innovations to very established institutions ranging from our financial institutions or the foundations of our internet even. So this opportunity is what interests me the most and um, finding that intersection uh, between new technologies, public policy in our institutions. I think crypto and blockchain uh, are at the frontier of that and will be for the next uh, few decades. Great. Thank you. Eric, over to you. Yeah. My, I mean, my real interest in my background is, you know, I, I, I was a corporate securities lawyer. Um, and what's interesting about the space, obviously, is the intersection between securities law and and sort of business, traditional infrastructure, market infrastructure, and, and really how it can help evolve and shape the traditional finance world that we live in. Because, you know, as people know, uh, the banks still are using our sort of our, sort of archaic systems. And, and there is an ability to really replace a lot of that and a lot of that infrastructure. Uh, one of the things that I think for me would really was the catalyst, I think, to, and this was back in 2016, uh, that really was the sort of the the uh, that light that light bulb for myself was was international payments. Uh, the ability to send payments from Canada to you know anywhere in the world fairly instantaneously, uh, as you know, as as anyone who sends an international international wire uh, would 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 tell you, uh, you know, if you typically send one, it's very costly, takes a lot of time. There's a lot of intermediaries, a lot of hops, um, and with crypto, obviously, you know, sending from from one country to you know really anywhere in the world. Uh, is, is fairly instantaneous as long as you know and if they want to even get if they want to if they want to think about that the that the, the that they're not even using crypto you can build a system where you know you're just using crypto as the the the, uh, the vehicle to move the funds uh, but at the end of the day each user or each uh, customer is or each you know person who's receiving the funds is, is just receiving the funds in their you know home jurisdiction currency whatever whatever currency they use local fiat currency uh, so that was one of the light light bulbs for me. Uh, but you can really do this in sort of any uh, sort of traditional finance space, right? Uh, like, you know, there, there's definitely areas for disruption in settlements and security settlements in particular, trading, um, and, and, you know, all these sort of uh, new coins that come out, you know, uh, over the years have, have sort of, you know, are trying to basically disrupt the, the current infrastructure that, that sort of is in place today. And so that that's what's really unique and exciting for me. And that that's what sort of was the, the catalyst for me to get into the space was, was sort of that bridge between, you know, because at the end of the day, a lot of this comes back to securities law is something a security or is it not a security and the business side of, of, of crypto, which, you know, how it can basically enrich and enhance and, and make things more efficient from a markets perspective, uh, which is which is really interesting and neat. But it's not very often that I get to have a conversation around disruptive technology, where the starting point is someone who is passionate and experienced in politics and public policy and on the legal side. So thanks for both of you for sharing. I think we've definitely bought, brought some uh, fresh perspective to the topic. Set the stage a little bit around cryptocurrency in Canada. In the past few years, uh, many people have either bought, traded, or simply read about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And our research uh, from MasterCard in our 2022 new payments index found that in North America, 34% of co consumers have or would consider buying cryptocurrency and there's a similar interest in other types of crypto activity. I'm curious, Eric, does this number surprise you or what were you expecting? Uh, it, it feels about right. I mean, there's definitely a lot of interest in, in the space uh, in Canada. I do think there's a, a big, like I'll call it like, un, the unbanked in Canada. 
market that that is using crypto today for you know basically you know serve their needs for payments or just the ability you know for some it's not that easy to get a bank account um, and that that is a an area that's untapped that being filled by by the space and there's obviously the speculators especially in 2021 in the sort of the bull run of the equities market we saw a similar thing in the crypto market you know you you have the the speculators the ones who saw the movie like dumb money as an example um you, you do have a little bit of that. You know, there's, there's sort of different segments. There's people who are using it for, you know, sort of utility purposes. There's people who are using it for sort of investment strategies. And an investment strategy, you sort of have the bridge. You know, the people who are looking at it just as that, like, risk on asset. You know, I'm investing in this to 10x, 100x my, my money. But then there's also people who look at it as a hedge of inflation or a hedge of sort of, sort of their, you know, a, diver, a diversified play to their portfolio to basically, uh, you know, diversify their, their their portfolio. So if if a certain you know asset were to decline, you know, Bitcoin being an uncorrelated asset would be sort of that that hedge to that exposure. Can you add a little bit more color, Eric, to your comment around the unbanked? Because generally, Canada isn't seen as a country that has a, a severely unbanked or underbanked population. So uh, I'm curious about your your view on that. Yeah, I mean, like you know, I think people don't really realize that. Like at the end of the day, like there there are. You know, there's there's five banks really in Canada. There are a lot of you know credit unions and other scheduled banks that service the space. But there is still this inability to really open a bank account, send funds, right? So we have a you know Canada, its population is growing today because of you know sort of the the, the immigrant population that that sort of you know, immigrates to the, the country all the time, right? And, and you know for those folks that really have no credit history, have sort of like no sort of documentation to, to provide these banks. It's hard for them to sometimes get an account, get credit, get, you know, get things. And then they want to send their funds back to their home country. And that is an area where, where crypto is is providing sort of a, a solution today. Um, and so that, that's an area that, that is, is, is unique and, and, and growing. It's not just, a, you know, purely a speculative investment or, a, or an investment for, for hedging inflation. Great. Thanks. So if I pick up on these ideas of social and economic benefits... Um, more of I'm curious about blockchain as the transformative technology under cryptocurrencies. What are some of those social and economic benefits you see this bringing to Canadians? So if I may add to what Eric said, um, I think around 3% of Canadians or close to a million are actually unbanked and 15% are underbanked. So just building on top of that, um, I think efficiencies and payments and creating access to financial services is definitely an area where uh, there's a lot of opportunity because cryptocurrencies allow for low cost, nearly instantaneous, borderless peer-to-peer transfers of actual value. And so it, this opens up uh, you know, extraordinary opportunities for innovations uh, in payments. And uh, a lot of friction, as you know mentioned before, still exists while exchanging values between physical and the physical and the digital world. So these payment blockchains could provide advanced uh, payment rails or even open up access to financial services, like we mentioned, but also it it opens up uh, access for those who are just looking for alternative ways to pay. So there's an opportunity to provide Canadian uh, consumers with more choices and options uh, on how and when they can pay pay for something. And this all ties into uh, Web3, which is the next iteration of the internet and the opportunity 
opportunities that that opens up in terms of what we can do and what we can build on the internet. And this is all borderless. So it allows Canadians to access the global digital economy because the digital economy is global and it's not just limited to Canada. And it could mean we could find better and easier ways to transact while gaming online or uh, shopping online, or especially for businesses who are looking for new revenues online. So there's definitely social and economic benefits uh, to, to, to be reaped from that perspective. But I'll note that right now it's probably a little bit too early to tell where the mass adoption will happen or, you know, how some of these technologies will be used or well, we'll see where we will exactly see the immediate benefits. But um, some of what Eric mentioned, what I just mentioned, I think is probably the lowest hanging fruit. Given both your roles and your passion about crypto and blockchain, I'm not surprised to hear you talk about the social and economic benefits, but I'd be interested in hearing the flip side. What are some of the skepticisms that you encounter or that you hear people talking about when you're engaging in conversations? Um, I can speak a bit to, I mean, Eric mentioned before, I mean, there, there has been a bit of a focus on speculative investments and assets in this space, right? Especially in the media and in this economic climate, when financial pressures are high on Canadians, it's easy to have anxiety over assets and investments that could be perceived to be more risky. But Crypto certainly has speculative aspects to it, but it's not random speculation or purely speculative. It's crypto is often underpinned by innovative work and worthwhile projects that people are investing into. And certainly the high profile cases of fraud in the space definitely doesn't help. And we've even had public pension plans invest in some of these companies. So if I were to put myself in the shoes of some of the Canadians, uh, I too would be skeptical. But What's important is that there's fraud in many areas of life, but emerging technologies uh, and assets have that double scrutiny because they're new. And most in the industry are credible, regulated and legitimate businesses who are continuing to build um, the future of this ecosystem in this market. And uh, they want to contribute to the building blocks of a digital economy. So. And many of them are our members at the council who are actively calling for better regulation in this space. So to address the skepticism, I think Canadians need that reassurance that regulations in this space are adequate and they're working. Um, and this is what we're working on at the council. Eric, anything to add? Yeah, no, I think I think that really is like, unfortunately, the way most people learn, and I think unfortunately, like, you know, uh, the public typically learns is is when event or I should say government really is when when when, when material events happen, Typically, our, our governments are reactive, right? And so in Canada, we obviously had the Quadriga, you know, uh, case that, that sort of happened, which is a large exchange that sort of, you know, blew up. Uh, you, you see a lot going on in the U.S. now with, with FTX and a few other sort of venues. And it really is, to me, when I, when I reflect on it, it's a, it's a, it's a learning opportunity and a learning moment. There, there is some meaningful regulation that's come into place in Canada that's looking to come into place in the U.S. It's coming into place, you know, internationally in Europe as well. Uh, that is really positive for the space. I think what's also unique about crypto, like just pivoting to the sort of the fraud aspect of it, like, yes, there is fraud, but there's fraud in other areas of, you know, sort of life. And I think it's got to do a little bit with the fact that how easy it is to pay, right? So it's easy for a fraudster to sort of deal in crypto. But what's unique about crypto is because everything's on chain, I think this is, you know, one of the reasons like MasterCard, you know, owns a blockchain analytics firm is they can actually trace the blockchain. You can you can actually you know, understand where the, these funds are going. And so there are some very unique tools now where you know, basically crypto is a terrible way to launder money if you want to launder money at this point, because you can really just trace that. Um, and so both from, you know, you know, like any early asset class or any area, 
you know, there are people who are trying to exploit it, but I, I do think we, you know, we're sort of on the ups now of, of regulating the space, uh, ensuring that the bad actors can't do what they do. They will always exist, but, you know, it's, it's, it's having the tools in place to ensure we can prevent that activity. And that's something that at CoinSquare that, like, you know, we have large teams that are specifically just focused on, on you know, preventing these sort of incidents from happening to either our clients or to the platform or, 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 or whatnot. Um, and then our government, and then come back to the sort of the government officials. They have put good regulation in place. Um, and it's just now the, the act of really enforcing that, that, that regulation and, and really just, you know, implementing what, what they're sort of putting forth, uh, you know, globally here. I want to pick up on that because in a previous episode of Future Forward, where we were talking about privacy, there was a lot of discussion around the importance of safeguards uh, and the role that regulators play in developing those. Lorva, maybe I'll start with you. What role should regulators play to secure Canadians? uh, And what are the opportunities for growth? And do you see that happening or do you have any recommendations on what should be done differently from a regulatory perspective? I definitely have a lot of recommendations (laughs) on what could be done. Bring them on. <laughs> but to build on what Eric said, I, I would say the regulators in Canada have done a good job in securing Canadians and providing a consumer protection framework for crypto. We're actually ahead of some other jurisdictions in that we already have a regulatory framework for crypto trading platforms. We have an AML regime. And this is because we had our own homegrown FTX. We had Quadrica, which Eric mentioned, and regulators needed to respond to that years ago. But the role of regulators now is different. Like the opportunity for growth is for regulators to work with lawmakers to evolve their approach and balance consumer protection with the innovation and the growth that's necessary and urgently needed in this industry. So Canadian policymakers and regulators, in in my opinion, seem to be trying to contain this industry right now instead of balancing consumer protection measures with encouraging the growth of this sector, which is understandable given the events that took place last year. We have legitimate players in the space looking to build and grow, and it's the government's responsibility to address the growth uh, challenges of this sector. And in terms of like where we can grow and my ideas on that, we desperately need policy leadership in this space right now from the federal government because we're seeing regulators right now overstep uh, their boundaries and make basically engage in policy making because there's a lack of involvement from the federal government. And I know Eric has a lot of thoughts on this, but I'll give an example. Um, recently, provincial securities regulators took some action that effectively banned stable coins from being listed on uh, crypto trading platforms. And that's an area where we urgently need the federal government to step in and provide a regulatory framework because it falls within their jurisdiction. And so that's just an example, but generally I think the message I'd like to send is that we need lawmakers and regulators to address you know, the need for us to evolve our current regulatory framework. We're in phase one right now, we need to go to phase two or you know, just the, just the next phase of it in, in, in general. And we need to decide what is our, per, like, what is our purpose? Like, what is our overall approach that we want to take here? Do we want to just, you know, contain the space or do we want to enhance consumer protection, have fair competition and provide choices to Canadians? And that's a very policy oriented discussion that goes beyond uh, what regulators can do. And I, and I really think it's desperately needed. An important distinction between regulators and policymakers. So thank you for um, giving examples of both. Eric, anything that you'd add on that one? Yeah, I think the only thing to add is, and I completely agree with more of his comments, is in sort of the, you know, for for policymakers uh, is consultation. That's critically important. Consulting with the industry, consulting with people who who are dealing with this every day. And, and there, ha- there has been 
a lot of that, but it's ensuring that that informs their their policy making. I think is, I think is really critical. And so that's just you know another sort of thing that you know both call to action to the, to the you know to the federal government to really regulate a few of these things, but also ensure that that they're being informed by you know people within the industry who have been in this space uh, to, to to sort of uh, inform that policy that they're creating. Eric, to your comment around fraud, according to the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre, Canadians reported losses of over $300 million related to investment fraud in 2022, compared to $164 million in 2021. So a pretty big difference year over year. Of those reports, many involve Canadians using and investing in cryptocurrency. I'd be interested in your opinion on how big of an obstacle is crypto scam for widespread currency adoption? Big issue or a very small portion of other things that we should be looking at? I mean, it's important to educate. And I think the more education out there is is important. You wouldn't believe how many of these scams are just related to people posting wallet addresses of promotions on Twitter that people are sort of, you know, wanting to take advantage of, right? There, there's a big education component, you know, towards this. You know, another big area, which I know has been talked about a lot, is like romance scams. Uh, those can be some very sophisticated people who, you know, text, uh, you know, create a relationship with someone uh, and, and they start sending money to them and they typically use crypto or they have used crypto for, for those scams. And, and they really truly believe that they're in some sort of romance to, to send the funds. Again, I think, I, think they're, I, think, I think going back to a point I made earlier is that, the, you know, we do have the tools available to us uh, to combat a lot of this today. That is continually evolving for the better. Banks and and you know payment providers, exchanges, they've all sort of adopted this technology, and, and I guess most importantly, law enforcement has adopted this technology, and they're using it to their advantage, right? They're using it to combat this fraud, and so you know I, I don't think we're, I think you know while you know uh, you know fraud ha- you know is obviously rampant as you said you know in in, in the past year, um, you know crypto obviously being a probably you know a good a good size of that. Uh, there are tools that are sort of like now combating that and, and changing the, the messaging around it. And like I said earlier, and I really do mean it, that, that crypto is not a great tool anymore to use for, for these scams. It's a lot easier to ask someone to give you, you know, a, a bunch of money at this point because that cannot be traced, right? Um, you know, crypto crypto can be traced. And so, you know, but both both ourselves, like as a, as a crypto trading platform, uh, we have large teams that deal with this. We will contact clients if we suspect that there are certain instances where someone is getting, you know, uh, defrauded. And so it's just the continual education of the public. I think more as, as the, as crypto becomes more uh, commonplace in, in, in our environment, people are, people will be able to identify the scams a lot easier. And so, you know, I think, I think it's, it's, it's an area of concern for sure, but there's also a, a very strong sort of way to combat that now, both from a technology perspective and then just from, you know, the, the exchanges or the, the other platforms able to, to assist the clients in, in protecting them. I want to pick up on your comment around um, education, because one of the things we try and do on this series is call out uh, important calls to action. Uh, and education seems pretty important. But I like your views on who should be educating and what are the key elements of that education open to both of you? Yeah, I mean, like there's a lot of content right now that come up from the securities regulators. There is some content that comes out from our, our, our federal government or provincial government about crypto and, and sort of, you know, what's related there. Uh, there is content that comes out now from, you know, exchanges like like uh, like Coinsquare. 
uh, but also traditional traditional platforms uh, and traditional dealers on like the things to look out for, right? And that's ultimately like at the end of the day, you talk to any security expert, right? They'll tell you that you can't you can't protect someone from their, themselves. Like there's only so much you can do to protect someone from themselves, and that's where education becomes really 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 important. And so you know, it's just it's just looking out for those markers. It's it's no different than as an example. Like I'm sure you know. Most people who are listening, you know, at any of any of their corporations, they 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 get trained on security training, and it's typically phishing, right? And it's like, what to look out for? What are the common markers to look out for in the in these phishing sort of events? And it's sort of the same thing in crypto. I mean, you know, it's it's similar markers to be honest, um, but also like if it's if it's too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true, right? There's not these like these promotions or or or, or things where you're sending money to something because you can get a you know, a hundred X return, right? If it, if it, if it sounds too good, it, it probably is too good. And it's, it's probably a scam. And so it's just that getting out that messaging is, is, is really important and critical to protect people from themselves. Great. Thanks. I will just say it's probably twofold. So when we're talking about things like scams or, you know, romance scams and things like that, um, I would like to say that it's, you know, crypto scams are not unique. There's, you know, fraud and scams in other parts of the financial sector. And so the education needs to be the same. But when it comes to, uh, you know, bigger risk, and I, and I really do think the biggest risk when it comes to in this space is uh, unregulated platforms and future FTXs. And that's where the government really needs to step in. That's where the education from the government needs to come in um, to not only create the adequate regulatory environment so that the winners that we're picking are the ones who are legitimate and regulated, but to also educate the public on, um, which access points are safe and which, which ones are not. And I think that's something that's probably a bit unique to this space, but generally I think when it comes to education efforts, we can't treat these instances of fraud or scams in this space, like they're novel. It's just like any other, uh, but to, like Eric mentioned, it's actually easier to trace it and easier to mitigate and manage it. But the education efforts are the same, and that comes from our governments, from our educators. But also it's a role that the council uh, as an industry association can play to work with governments to make sure that the education makes sense. So you both mentioned in the last uh, few minutes about how easy it is to trace. Um, and if you look at the rise of cryptocurrencies, some might wonder, why should we care if our money is powered by blockchain? So clearly the traceability is one aspect, um, but what are the others? What are things that people should know or you would want them to know? Uh, I, I mean, I think the one the one big thing is that, you know, it, it is, so at, the, at its core, blockchain is distributed ledger technology. Now, what does that really mean, right? If you think about, uh, you know, sending funds from one party to another or within, or, or let's start with, if you, send, if you send funds within your bank from one bank account to another, that's essentially a database change. Right, it's simple, it's quick. You go from your checking to your savings; it's easy. Now, if you go from one party from your CIBC bank account to, you know, an RBC bank account, uh, as an example, right, that takes a little bit of time. You got to use maybe Interact Rails, you got to use an EFT Rail, right? There, there are intermediaries now that are involved in that sort of transfer, right? And then you go, you know, now broaden that even more. You want to send a wire transfer overseas, right? You're now not just using, you know, RBC's rails. You're, or, you know, you're going to use. Maybe Bank of America, or maybe you know, and there's multiple intermediaries that are sort of in that in that, more that more system complex. to send that wire. Gets more and more complex, right? At the end of the day, the, the go back to the the, the the transfer that was really easy, going from my checking account to my savings account, right? Because all that really is is a database change. That's what crypto really enables, right? At the end of the day, because it's it is a distributed technology. There's a ledger of de debits and credits that everyone can see, 
And so the ease of use of sending funds from one party to another is fairly seamless. And you don't need to rely on these intermediaries. So you're, you know, you're disintermediating, you're removing intermediaries. So there's less cost involved less time, it's a lot quicker. At one point, Bitcoin you know, or ETH at one point was expensive to, to transfer, but even that has been sort of, there's things called layer twos or, or other sort of, you know, protocols that are that are, that are that are in existence today that, that make the transfer fees, you know, essentially less than a penny, right? Where it's, it's essentially free to transfer from, from, from one account to another. Um, and so that's, that at its core is really powerful and really unique. And then you can see it, how, how it sort of then can replace, you know, you know, how we typically deal with, with money on a day-to-day basis. Um, and because money today, anyway, like people think, when people think about cash, they think about physical cash, but, you know, the majority of money today is already digital. Um, and so, and so it's just sort of replicating that, replicating that and making it, making it a lot more seamless. Um, and then just pivoting to one other thing, you know, there's also the sort of the, one thing we haven't really talked about is like smart contracts, which I'm sure is something people have heard about a ton, which is basically executable code that, you know, uh, works on specific instructions that you provide it. Um, but what's really unique and powerful about that is that you can start then creating these platforms uh, that then remove the intermediaries from, you know, many different types of projects or, or you know, so as an example, decentralized finance being an area that that's obviously uh, growing a lot in, in the crypto space, which is at its core is really just, uh, you know, the ability to offer a, a trading platform with no need for having an intermediary to, to, to deal with that. So really think like peer-to-peer sort of trading, um, but done in a way where it's essentially seamless, like you're trading on a, any centralized marketplace. Um, or in lending, right? If you want to have collateralized lending, right? Um, where you don't need to rely on a third party to sort of uh, hold that collateral. Um, if at a certain event or price is struck, it would liquidate that collateral. So there's protection on the other side. Things like that that are very unique and very, very cool that I think blockchain you know really enables um and there's a ton of you know different areas that, that people have explored you know i i've touched on nfts but it's a whole other sort of area that 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 blockchain is really looking at to to sort of disrupt underlying that your passion and your advocacy for the simplicity efficiency and traceability comes across really clearly uh, morva you've talked a lot about the future i'm curious for your views on how do you see the crypto landscape evolving in the coming years and what can canadian individuals and organizations do to prepare for these changes or what should they be embracing about these changes there's a few things so i mean i think there'll be more innovation and adoption in this space because this space will continue to build regardless i mean everything that eric just explained i i think the average person doesn't really understand and they they find crypto very scary and too complicated. So I think what we can expect and what the ecosystem really needs to do in the, um, in the next few years is to build more user-friendly products and to find better uh, product market fit for the things that they're putting out there so that crypto isn't this scary thing um, that, that nobody understands as just full of scams and fraud, but it's actually people understand the value prop that it is making it easier for them to transact or that it is providing efficiencies or cost savings for them. So I think we can expect more of that in the future, uh, at least from an industry perspective. And when we see that, we'll probably see more adoption uh, of these products and services to, to you know a broader audience. On the regulatory side, uh, I think we can see more consolidation in this space. So there are various regulatory frameworks that are going to come into force in the next year, uh, next 
few years, one being Mika and, uh, in the European Union. And uh, we'll see more firms being registered and going through the process in Canada, for instance. So what that means is that legitimate players will come out as, as winners and uh, those who can't or won't comply, uh, they won't be able to survive. So we'll see that consolidation. And then the last thing I'll say is we can continue to expect more regulatory uncertainty in the next few years. So, and it'll continue to heat up and it'll continue to impact market conditions uh, because in some jurisdictions like the U.S., there are a lot of regulatory issues that are being battled out in court because the SEC uh, has decided to do regulation by enforcement. And that will have a lot of implications for how the landscape will evolve in the next few years because of the the importance of that market to the, the global digital economy. And so I think in terms of preparing for that, you know, what folks can do or what, what they can expect at least is they should continue to educate themselves in this space, only use regulated platforms and keep up with, you know, what is and isn't a safe access point and only use products and services that, you know, aren't too good to be true. And when it comes to organizations and businesses, uh, I think monitoring the regulatory developments is probably the most important thing that, you know, every business in this space or every business interested in becoming involved in this space uh, should, should be doing. Uh, investing in policy and advocacy efforts like we're doing at the council is going to be the best investment in the next few years, because these are really the defining years for how this space will be regulated. And it's always a chicken and egg question, like what comes first, mass market adoption or good regulation? And I think it's a bit of both. And uh, we really can't ignore that regulatory piece when it comes to that. And we've talked a lot about the, the friction in exchanging value between digital and physical goods, between consumers and businesses. Uh, and we've talked uh, on the consumer side. If I switch to the business side for a minute, I'm, I'm interested if there's any other comments you would have around how businesses can specifically benefit from adopting cryptocurrency as a payment method or blockchain as part of their um, business infrastructure. Yeah, definitely. And actually, so, so uh, you know, there's a business. So Coinscore owned by Wonderfy. Wonderfy owns another business called SmartPay. Uh, SmartPay is a B2B crypto payment processing business. Um, so it enables vendors to basically accept crypto. Uh, but without the exposure, if they don't want it, um, there's obviously the option they can hold the crypto. If, if you know, if customer comes, they want to pay in crypto. The the the, the seller, the business, the business. Thank you. So we're talking about the crypto, crypto B two B payment processing. If you have a, uh, a a customer who comes into a business and wants to pay in, pay in crypto, the business doesn't need to uh, you know hold on to that crypto. They can immediately exchange it into into fiat. But the benefit for the business is ultimately the fact that. Well, first off, they can accept crypto, but with crypto, there's no chargebacks, which is which is obviously a, a huge a huge benefit for them, and it you know it does enable them to then accept certain you know if for example if we're talking large value goods, sometimes a lot easier to pay. You don't need to wait for checks to clear. You don't need to wait for the settlement time of you know of, of T plus two, and so there, or if you need to go international, right? If you're paying with an online vendor, right, and you can accept a lot more, right? So you don't if you don't if you don't want to have the exposure to, you know, sending your funds from point A to point B, you know, you can use crypto. And, and, and so there is that that benefit for businesses to really adopt crypto within there. And they can today, because uh, those those services exist, uh, you know, SmartPay being one of them, but there, there are a few others where businesses can basically enable their clients to send crypto, they can receive the crypto with, with limited exposure on the business side to uh, to accept that, that, that those funds. Um, and then just enables them to have another different sort of payment option for, the, for their clients to sort of, you know, uh, take advantage of. As I said, we like to have in this conversation a lot of calls to action so that we're specifically 
um, giving people uh, a view on uh, what comes next or what they need to know. Let me start, um, Morva, with you. What would you like for regulators to keep in mind as they increasingly look to introduce new rules for the crypto space? Well, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I will reiterate that there needs to be a recognition uh, on the regulator side that there's a lack of policy leadership in this space. And regulators are the ones that need to do the pushing right now and to work with the industry to create that pressure on lawmakers to fill that gap. There's only so much regulators can do to regulate in this space because there's a lot of gray area. And like effectively right now, they're trying to fill you know, fit a square peg in a round hole and it's just not going to, it's not sustainable and it's not going to work. Um, so from my perspective, we're seeing regulators overstepping right now or falling short at other times. There's a lot of uh, issues that need to be ironed out with our regulatory framework and they need to work better with the industry to address, address those issues. But where we are right now, it's truly, truly not sustainable and it creates risks for consumers and businesses in this space. And it makes our framework less competitive than other jurisdictions. And it also makes uh, consumers go to unsafe access points because they can't have access to the assets that they want or they can't do the cool stuff you know their friends in europe are doing so my call to action to regulators is that they need to acknowledge that there are areas in the space that don't fit into existing regulations that we sometimes need bespoke regimes in when it comes to this space and we need we seriously seriously need policy leadership and to create new legislation and regulations uh, and that's the only way for us to get to the next phase here and we need everybody at the table for that we need regulators policymakers, and the industry for that because what we have right now it's just um it's just not sustainable very clear call to action eric over to you and live in an increasingly digital world our economy is increasingly digital what's the one piece of advice you would give to consumers and businesses to either ensure that they're ready or to be willing to embrace our increasingly digital world. Yeah, no, I think I think it's important to for everyone to just understand uh, what crypto really means. Uh, play with it. That's always the best way to to learn really anything. So, you know, just just you know, deposit a little bit of money, start trading with it, start sending it from to, to different people, um, and then see what the what the technology really provides. Uh, that's the best way to, to really to really learn understand the value that that this can provide. That's really what you know. If I go back to you know 2016, 2015 when I got into the space, that's what really opened my eyes. You know what's unique about crypto we haven't really talked about is that, you know anyone can really be their own bank. That's really powerful to some people. Um, you, if you wanted to, you could you know you can hold your entire net worth pretty much in your hand. Uh, some people that doesn't that doesn't really work, and you might want to use a custodian, right? And and those, those exist as well. Like digital asset custodians do do exist as well. Or you know, um, and so crypto is not going away for the skeptics that are out there. It's definitely here to stay. You know, while the market, you know, there it does ebb and flow for sure. The technology at its core is 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 here. Institutions are adopting this technology. They're investing in in Bitcoin and other crypto, but also the technology itself, um, and how they can basically make themselves more efficient. How they can improve what they do on a day to day basis. And so it is important that you know, you know, anyone new who's who's listening here should definitely. You know, try it out, test it out, learn more about it, read more about it, um, because it because it because it, it's not really it's not it won't be, it won't be going anywhere. It will ebb and flow, and we're still in this sort of like, especially in these these these, I'll say slower times. But you know, the market over the last few days has has started to move uh, in a in a sort of upward trajectory trajectory. But there is it is an opportunity for people to to build, um, and there is a lot of very good 
uh, market infrastructure that has now been put in place for institutions and others to really adopt this technology. And so I think it is very important that people are focused uh, on on this space. They're looking at how they can basically improve what they do on a database basis and make their lives a lot easier with, with using this technology. Part of the reason why we're seeing we're seeing um, you know slowness on their end or seeing them moving too fast in other aspects is because they're not fully bought, bought into this and they're just hoping for it to go away. And uh, they also need to just kind of admit or you know accept that uh, the space isn't going anywhere and that it's their job to provide more choices to consumers. And the best way for them to understand the space is to educate themselves on the technology and to try and, uh, and see it from our perspective in terms of the future that we're seeing. That's great. I have one final question for each of you. There's a lot of topics that we could talk about in the cryptocurrency and blockchain space. We have a short period of time. So I've asked you a bunch of questions, but what is the one thing you think we didn't cover regarding cryptocurrency and blockchain that you think we should have talked about? Um, I would say decentralized finance and generally decentralization uh, is probably something that would be interesting uh, to this audience in the future. Uh, and also from my perspective, because regulators are turning their attention to it now, uh, but that's a whole other can of worms. Uh, and um, But uh, to Eric's point about the appeal of being your own bank, um, I think DeFi and decentralization of the internet in general, I think people having control over the things that they do and the things that they own is um, definitely going to be something that a lot of people are gonna care about in the future. So I'd say that would be one topic. Great. Eric? Yeah, I, yeah, I think one thing we, did, we sort of touched on it a little bit, but is, uh, you know, there's a big trend with, they call it, we call it real world assets in, in crypto, but, you know, I think digitizing, digitizing either securities or other, you know, physical assets that, that we're accustomed to, and then the benefits that that, that, that can result in, right? So uh, if we want to take as an example, you know, re, you know, basically replacing stocks with security tokens, right? The traditional stock market with security tokens, you know, we're, we've been talking about T plus going from T plus two to T plus one, right? Well, crypto is, you know, not even T plus zero. Um, and so there's, there's huge efficiencies that, that you can you can achieve from certain, uh, from the adoption of, of this technology. And, and that, you know, that is a trend that, you know, it, it, it has take, taken a lot of time to adopt. I do think, you know, in the, in the near future, uh, we will see a, a larger adoption there. Like, you know, JP Morgan, as an example, has adopted this technology, has used it for like internally for their payments between different, different banking partners. But, but I think as the, you know, going back to sort of Morbus point, I think why the, this is an area that hasn't really developed as quickly as maybe some people have thought is going back to the, the regulatory clarity because you're, you're definitely in, this, in, in sort of that like securities regulatory framework at that point. And I think that sort of provides a little bit of that can sometimes stifle innovation, which is always the sort of the balance that that you know regulators and policymakers need to really think about when when they're really you know regulating this space. Um, but I do think that is an area that that uh, you know we haven't really touched on, but it is an area that that is rapidly growing today. Um, and I do see in the next you know one to two to five years really growing. Morva, thank you for the insightful discussion today. Uh, crypto and blockchain can be a complex topic, but I'm grateful for your insights and confident that we have a clear understanding of the technology and its role in the future of our digital economy. My three takeaways are one, the importance of education and the responsibility of education. Two, uh, understanding that blockchain can be uh, a pathway to simplicity, efficiency, and transparency. And three, probably most importantly, that in order to see this scale, we need to find the balance between 
um, consumer protection and innovation. So thank you for sharing your thoughts. Thank you to our audience for tuning into the Future Forward series hosted by me, Sasha Kostich, president of MasterCard Canada. I hope you're enjoying our conversations with Canadian thought leaders and industry experts on the forces and trends shaping Canada's future economy and what we need to do to stay at the forefront. I'd love to hear from you, so let us know your thoughts on the topics we discussed today in the comments section below. And to be notified of the next releases in the series, subscribe to this channel and the futureeconomy.ca newsletter and social. Links are in the description. I'm Sasha Kostich. Thanks for joining me and see you next time.